What's up, Dolph fans, and welcome into the Victory Monday, the November the 11th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we're recapping the Dolphins' second consecutive win, 16-12 over the Colts in Indianapolis. After another sterling showing from the Dolphins coaching staff and the individual standouts from this game, plus we're going to do our five general takeaways and finish up with the weekend that was in college football. Tua Tungavailoa versus Joe Burrow did not disappoint. And where Miami sits in the draft pecking order after another dub, all of that and more. But first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can give me a follow on Twitter. It's at WingfieldNFL. Voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. You can follow the show at LockedOnFins. We'll follow you back. And check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We have the post-game article up there right now. And we'll have the aftermath for you on Tuesday. Plenty of content every day on LOD.com. Let's go ahead and jump right in. The five takeaways from Miami's second victory of the season, their second victory in a row, and now 2-0 in November under Brian Flores as this team, very Patriot-like, continues to improve week-to-week as the season goes along, and that sure does bode well heading forward into the future. So does takeaway number one, and that's where we start this podcast today. This defense and the way they're playing within the structure of the scheme and how fast they are playing because of one thing, preparation. There was a couple of reps in this game today where you notice that the Dolphins players are just getting off the snap almost faster than the offense in the way they react to things. And there was a couple of instances. I'll go back to the Colts mesh concept, which they ran over and over and over again in this game. All a mesh is, you're going to have a front side crosser, a backside crosser, and they want to cross right in front of the linebackers. It creates a natural rub, and it also puts linebackers in some peril as far as where to go in zone coverage that way. And then from there, you'll also usually have a running back run the wheel route, so you get some depth up the side lines you get crossing horizontally across the middle of the field and the Colts kept trying that but the Dolphins were always quick to recognize that and to run over the top of those picks and to get themselves through the contact into the passing lane and get themselves out into the flat quickly on running backs with linebackers the Colts continuously tried to create matchup problems for this Dolphins defense and that's something that Frank Reich has been absolutely fantastic at so far in his one year and a half with the Colts and he got out coached today by Brian Flores I mentioned this on the front Friday or Thursday podcast, how I expect Miami to compete against teams that are not well coached right now because Flores can mask up some of his talent deficiencies through his coaching. Well, right now, he just beat one of the best coaches in the NFL from last season. I think Frank Reich might have won the coach of the year last year, if I'm not mistaken, and Flores just wiped him out. And Reich is an offensive mind, Flores defensive. He wiped him out. It was so impressive. These guys are so prepared and they're playing fast and loose and aggressive, and it's fun to watch. Number two, not so positive. They have to redo the entire offensive line in the offseason. Absolutely nothing by way of running lanes. And Kalen Balaj, 
we'll just leave that at that. He's not long for this team, I don't think. And the left side of the offensive line is a complete tire fire, a complete issue at this point. It's, it's difficult to really harp on Jamarcus Webb too much. The guy's a street-free agent. He came here basically ready to retire and showed up and had to play left tackle, the toughest position on the offensive line. He's struggling. Michael Dieter's pass protection still struggling there. I just don't know where the fits are. I think Chris Reed was one of the better guards on the roster, but he continues to get shelved for other guys. I think Evan Bame's best spot is at the center position. He played right guard. I'm not a big fan of Daniel Kilgore and Jesse Davis at right tackle. That experiment needs to end yesterday. I think the offensive line has to get almost rebuilt entirely this offseason. At least from the standpoint of starters, some of these guys might be depth or sixth men in the future, and maybe you get one or two of them as starters, but I think if you really want to be serious about being a strong physical team that plays good defense and can run the ball, you're going to have to do a lot better than what you have up front right now. Takeaway number three, you can really put yourself in position in this draft class because of what you have currently in the cupboards and what's available to you in April in Las Vegas at the NFL draft. Miami is in a position to really, really hit the ball out of the park at all three skill positions, really we'll call it four, tight end, receiver, running back, and quarterback. I do think Mike Kosicki is going to be a tight end one here before we know it, if he's not already. The quarterback position, we know about that. We'll talk about that here momentarily. But my God, are the running back and receiver classes in this year's draft absolutely loaded. I'm thinking 12 or so guys at both positions that I expect to come into the league and have an impact, if not immediately, at some point in their professional careers. And the Dolphins have to attack that aggressively with all of these picks. Whoever the quarterback is, whether it's Burrow, whether it's Tua, whether it's Jake Fromm, whether it's a veteran, again, we'll talk about that here in segment number three, but the Dolphins are in a position to remake their backfield, which absolutely needs it at this point, and to add to Preston Williams and Devontae Parker and Mike Gesicki and the boys they have at those positions because this class can put you in position to finally have a good skill group, something the Dolphins have not had, frankly, basically since the Dan Marino days with the Duper Bros. Takeaway number four, there was no penalties in the first half of the Dolphins in this game. They finished with four for 30 yards. So again, they lead the NFL in fewest penalties and yardage assessed. The discipline, the understanding of analytics to go ahead and put yourself in favorable positions on certain down and distances, using hard counts when you have a free play clock. And what I mean by that is like two minute warning or end of the quarter, those types of things. This team is always aware of the situation. And you go back to the game against the Colts last year, I bitched about this relentlessly, how there was no urgency on that big Leonte Carew touchdown drive. The first two plays before that were bubble screens where Tannehill took his sweet time getting back to the line of scrimmage and he got bailed out by that 50-50 ball that Leonte Carew pulls in for a touchdown. But the lack of urgency was completely mind-numbing. This team is just always going to be situationally aware. They're going to be prepared for the moment and they're always going to make sure they don't make the big gaffes that cost you the game, like special teams penalties for instance. Stuff that can hamper you in the hidden yardage. This team is always on top of it. TNT wall, Brian Flores, all that stuff worked out. And I'm so thrilled for that. And the last takeaway here, number five, is the Dolphins' effort in the previous five games. They did have this number, I think, positive there for a minute, but now it's negative again since they won by just four points. The point differential the last five games is just negative 12 after it was about a bazillion points through the first four games. The Dolphins have scored 93. The opposition has scored 105 over those last five games. We knew the Dolphins came into this game over that stretch as the ninth best pass defense in the NFL and the 15th best defense total in the the NFL 
Both those numbers are going to go up. I do not have them for you yet, but I love the way this team has adapted and they've grown together. We heard Eric Rose interview with the sideline reporter from the broadcast on Sunday. I can't remember her name, Jamie Erdahl, I think it was, but they discussed her conversation with Eric Rowe, how he mentioned these guys getting some chemistry after this team was basically reassembled in September and that comfortability and the communication and making all those checks. A big note to Bobby McCain for what he does back there, but Eric Rowe talked about it, how they're coming together as one unit and it's a big change a big departure from last year where you had talent like Rashad Jones and TJ McDonald and these guys that are good players but they, they get beat often with the mental lapses and have plenty of coverage busts we're just not getting that this year they've got guys that are changing positions like Eric Rowe at safety playing fantastic in that role we'll talk about that here some more in a minute it reminds you of the Patriots and how they basically moved Devin McCourty around the defensive backfield in some of his prime years Chris Rashard and Rod Marinelli do it in Dallas with Byron Jones at cornerback and safety. The Patriots of long ago, Troy Brown going from offense to defense. These are the kind of moves I expect from this coaching staff because they're proving they can do it. You've got guys like Jamal Wills doing his thing, playing safety and cornerback. Raquan McMillan playing stack linebacker inside or coming off the strong side edge and defending the run. Vince Beagle playing all over the damn field. An absolute find there. John Jenkins a find. Nick Needham a find. I just can't say enough about this coaching staff and the job they've done this year it's been a plus like coach of the year material when you consider how bad this roster has been stripped down to its core parts and maybe it's time for you to get stripped down to your core parts because the missus is calling you over to the bedroom and you don't want to get there and fail to perform like Brian Hoyer on a first and goal situation at the end of the game. Listen up, fellas. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue, like the Indianapolis Colts blue balls blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, two-game winning streak, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, guys, no more awkwardness. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code MLB. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E, Chew.com, promo code MLB to try it today for free. BlueChew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I thought it was going to be 2020 the next time we got to play a little J-Rock for you guys on the segues and the intro to the podcast, but it's another Victory Monday here, a second consecutive Victory Monday, and this Monday, I've got my two screens back, I've got the post-game evaluation all done, all the good stuff you come to low and love from Locked On Dolphins, and with that, let's go ahead and jump right into the recap article up on LockedOnDolphins.com. We are, of course, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and the total numbers from the game And the Dolphins were actually outgained in this one and had a positive turnover differential, plus one. They had three to the Colts, two, or I should say the Colts got two takeaways. Miami got three, but the Dolphins are outgained 300 to 228 yards. The Colts outrushed Miami 109 to 70, although the Colts only had 28 rushing yards in the first half when things were really coming up against it. A lot of those rushing yards came down the wire, down the stretch, and some garbage time towards the end as the Dolphins were giving up more running lanes. The passing offense, the Colts had 
had 191 to Fitzpatrick's 158. The Dolphins had just the four penalties for 30 yards. The Colts had three for 25. Miami was seven out of 18 on third and fourth down. That's roughly 38.9%. And the Colts were five for 15. That's 33% on their tries. The Dolphins had one sack of... Brian Hoyer, forgot his name there for a second, while the Colts got Fitzpatrick three times, the Dolphins one time of possession, 31-28 to 28-32. So the Dolphins win that battle once again. And really, the bad part about the tank issue of all this and the fact that you can come out of this game feeling good about the coaching staff is that if you just get a little bit more luck on the other end of things, like kicking, for instance, like Adam Vinatieri missing a PAT, or Jason Sanders going 3-for-3 from 47, 48, and 48 yards, that's the kind of bad, bad luck breaks that the tanking team, the first overall draft pick team gets, like the Bengals. Go back to their game against the Seahawks, where they beat the Seahawks for four quarters and lose on the scoreboard, or they are in the red zone against the Bills at the end of a game and can't close that one out. Miami just found a way to win. They won the small situations. You go back to that goal line stand there, or I should say red zone stand at the end of the game. They were in great position and coverage on all four of those plays. Just a terrific job across the board. Let's go back to the quarterback here, the individual positions. Ryan Fitzpatrick is just playing so well right now. I went back and tallied his stats from the last five games when he came off the bench because his passer rating was like in the 40s when he first played the first couple of games. Well, now it's up around 90. He's got nine total touchdowns, four interceptions, and he's playing big time in third down situations. And I was right there in training camp when he told reporters this, that he thinks the best football of his career is ahead of him. And a big reason for that is this system and the way it quote unquote empowers the quarterback, both he and Josh Rosen mentioned that Fitzpatrick continues to play at a high level in the scheme. And that to me makes the quarterback situation, even though don't get me wrong, I want the elite quarterbacks, but I worry less about it now because I am fully confident this offensive staff and this scheme can create an offensive plan around a quarterback and get that guy to succeed pretty much regardless of who he is, unless, of course, well, he's Josh Rosen. But Fitzpatrick, over the last five games, 21.2 points scored per game compared to 6.1 points per game in the first part of the season. At tailback, Kalen Balage, ugh. 20 carries, 43 yards. That's about all I want to say about that. Patrick Laird had a nice first down reception on a third and five, or a first down conversion, I should say, on third and five. That was good to see him get in the game. Chandler Cox, I just don't really see it with this guy. He's a fun highlight real player, but his lead blocking leaves a lot to be desired. At receiver and tight end, Devontae Parker, another steady day, 69 yards. Nice. And he caught five of his 10 targets. That's a little bit off from his norm, but still, he's producing and winning with good route running. There's a good video. video in the thread up on LockdownDolphins.com where he takes a corner route and turns it into a curl route. Very impressive work from Devontae Parker. Mike Kosicki, he only caught three passes for 28 yards in this game. Couple of first downs. Almost had that Odell Beckham-like catch over the middle of the field, which if Fitzpatrick puts that ball on him, it's a walk-in touchdown. But he's improving it, working through his reroutes, being more physical and stronger at the point. I like that about Kosicki's game and he continues now to come along nicely several games in a row. There's a great concept and scheme design on a fourth down and three early in this game from Miami. It was with three minutes to play in the first quarter. They scheme open Jakeem Grant where the boundary receiver, Grant, runs a little mirror route where he steps up in front of the cornerback and then bends it right across the formation on a square in. And the three receivers to the field side of the formation all run slants without turning their head to the quarterback. They were trying to create space for Jakeem Grant. They saw something in film. The linebackers reacted exactly how you'd expect them to. And Jakeem Grant's wide open for a 12-yard pickup and a first down. Great design there. Check that out in the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com. I think Durham Smythe is really struggling right now. They might want to replace him as the true number two tight end to fully unlock Mike Kosicki's skill set. 
We talked about the offensive line in the takeaway segment, so I won't harp on that too much here. But Michael Dieter is playing, you know, every snap, every game, but the film is just not progressing in certain areas, like pass protection, for instance. He's a total liability in that regard. It has to get better. We know Jamarcus Webb has been that all season. Evan Bame, the thing about his game I like the most is he consistently turns out the edge of a gap. Like if he has to work inside of the three technique and turn him out to the right side of the formation, he can get there and he walls it off. A great seal player. A seal blocker, I should say, on the offensive line. I do think, however, that he's better at center. He can get crossed his face quite a bit. That works the same way with the three technique shooting in as a one gapper who slants across his face. He can improve there. And then Jesse Davis, I think, is just better served as a guard going forward. On the defensive line, John Jenkins is immovable. My goodness, this guy is powerful. He beat Quentin Nelson on a couple of plays. He had a quick first step for a big TFL in this game, and he works off blocks so impressively multiple times in the game on Sunday. Devon Godshaw, steady as they go, man. He punches initially and gets guys kind of phased that way, or dazes them, I should say, and then works either direction, left or right, off of that initial punch and can two-gap and make plays as a run defender. Christian Wilkins has that infectious energy. I didn't notice him much today on the broadcast. I'll go back in the film, but I love watching him show up in every single celebration this team has after a turnover, after a touchdown. He always finds himself into the frame. He is a very easy guy to root for. And he also had a big play on the Jerome Baker strip sack. Go ahead and check that out in the Locked On Dolphins article. Speaking of Jerome Baker, the linebackers kicked ass on Sunday. And Vince Beagle, we start with him once again. Off the edge as a pass rusher, beating guys like Anthony Costanzo, who's going to get paid a billion dollars this offseason, whether from the Colts, the Dolphins, or somebody else. Vince Beagle beat him several times, both against the rush and the pa- against the run and the pass, I should say. He has been an absolute feather in the cap of Chris Greer because remember it was Kiko Alonso who they traded to get Beagle and Alonso was going to be cut anyway. Very impressive work there from the Dolphins front office. Jerome Baker looked like he had a bad knee injury but came back into the game. That was great to see. He was everywhere in coverage as a blitzer. His game is pure instinct and speed and when I talked about the first takeaway with how these guys are playing fast because of their preparation in the scheme, you watch him. He's the guy I'm mostly talking about. He gets out to the flats, to the wheels and covers tight ends and back. So impressive. The pass rush is a great, great added bonus. He had a sack and seven tackles in this game. Charles Harris had his best back-to-back games as a pro last week against the Jets, now against the Colts as a run defender, really contributing in that way as well. And then Raekwon McMillan, steady as he goes. He's like Devon Godshaw. I know both those guys are going to play well pretty much every game. In the defensive backfield, Nick Needham is my dude. That guy is balling out. The next feather in the cap of Josh Boyer, who's known for developing undrafted free agents. Needham in his last two games. 14 tackles, four pass breakups, a pick, a sack. He is getting the job done. Great recovery speed, great physicality, challenges routes, and loves to play sticky man coverage. Speaking of sticky man coverage, Eric Rowe has suddenly become this tight end eraser for Miami. They've been looking for that for a long time. If you go back to the previous three games, he allowed just 28 receiving yards on nine targets to tight ends. That's less than four yards per target. And on Sunday, Eric Ebron caught five of 12 targets for a a YPT of 4.67. I'm not sure how many of those came against Eric Rowe, but he was in lockstep coverage with Eric Ebron all game. I think Bobby McCain's leadership and range are really showing up. He gets these guys into the right calls. He's the extension of the coaching staff on the field and you see him get that big interception today playing that single high man free safety that was impressive to watch I think that he's a big valuable part of this team going forward as well so is Jamal Wiltz who does a little bit of everything playing the blitz 
fits a run gap, peels off into cover two, or robs the middle of the field. He is feisty and aggressive. He fits the mold. Steven Parker's interception in the end zone was a fantastic play of separating the hands of the receiver, getting yourself involved that way. All things told, this game was a bit of a mixed bag of emotions for me because I want to see this team get a high draft pick, but at the same time, having the coaching staff get all this production out of these players is so, so super impressive. And I just believe that the future is looking bright pretty much regardless of what they do. I have full trust in this in this front office and this coaching staff at this point because this front office has done well to find some hits and the coaching staff is developing them. I think they're fully aligned in their vision to say, this is what I want at this position. The scouting staff will go find it and the coaching staff will then develop it. That I have full faith in. But right now, the downside, when you have that pretty much impervious scheme that can make winners out of anybody, you'd also have the idea in your mind that, yeah, you can make Alex Smith into a good quarterback quarterback, but look at what happened when Patrick Mahomes got in that system and took it to a whole nother level. That's the worry about losing the first pick. That's the worry about not getting the quarterback you desire. And speaking of those quarterbacks, we're going to come back and talk about both of them here on the other side. But real quick, long day at work, still stuck in the office, open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered right to you wherever you are. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of 15 bucks or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code Locked On. So rare that a game of the century or game of the decade or whatever the hell we're building that LSU Alabama game. It's just so rare that that game lives up to the hype, but this game did in every single way. I'm thinking about five receivers out there eligible for the draft that can help Miami, a pair of running backs, obviously both quarterbacks. You've got an edge for either team and Caleb on chase on Anthony Jennings. You've got defensive backs all over the field on both sides. That game was so much fun to watch from a fan perspective and a scout perspective. We'll jump into the quarterbacks here in just one second, but now that the action on Sunday is complete, let's go ahead and update you on Miami's current draft stand. And it's not good anymore, guys. It's just not good. They pick fourth right now currently, just behind the Giants because of the extra loss. The Giants haven't had their bye week yet. Once they do, Miami would then jump them and move into third place. And really, maybe Washington could be up for sell with that second pick with having Dwayne Haskins in-house. And maybe the Bengals do take Joe Burrow first. The dream isn't completely dead. We're just not the favorites anymore to get to a tongue of Iloa or now if you want him, Joe Burrow. The next pick, the Steelers pick, it's getting worse. Much, much worse. I don't know how this team is winning games. A lot of luck, I suppose. But that pick currently, ugh, it sits 21st gross and the Texans pick is 26th. So Miami picking in the back end of the first round and their own pick now sitting at fourth. All right, then. I alluded to it. I have the passing chart. I have my thoughts on the game. My general takeaway is that this class officially has two studs at the position. It took me a while to warm up on Joe Burrow, but his innate sense for pressure and his ability to get through his progressions are big time, and the running ability, 64 rushing yards in the game, are just absolutely aces when his team needs it the most. My favorite way to judge a quarterback is this. How do I feel when he has the ball in his hands on third down and my defense has to have a stop. 
This was the case on Saturday simply because I wanted Alabama to make it a close football game because I thought getting both those quarterbacks back and forth on crucial have-to-have-it drives would have been a evaluator's dream. And while he kind of failed early in that third quarter to get that done, when the game mattered the most in the fourth quarter, he was complete, complete aces, ice in his veins. He got it done. I don't think he's elite at escaping pressure and his four sacks are evident of that. But man, he plays big time when the lights are the brightest. Then you've got Tua Tungavailoa, and my goodness, he took things up another notch for this scout's eye. You could tell that his his mobility was very limited, and LSU did well to take away his bread and butter. He was just one for four on slant routes, but he hit big throw after big throw after big throw. He picked his teammates up after they let him down. Many drops. I think there was four in this game from the Alabama receiving core, and he led three big scoring drives when his team had one option on those drives. You have to score or the game is over. The accuracy, the feel for the rush, the ball fakes, the ball movement and details of the game, the intelligence. He's still far and away from me, quarterback number one. But I also now have a very firm grasp on Joe Burrow at QB2. He jumps over Jake Fromm pretty significantly. And it's basically this game compared or paired with Florida and Auburn and Texas. The fact that he's done this all year long, it's not a fluke. He's here to stay. And you go back to the last year's end of the season, he was showing this progression. I'm excited to look at his tape more in full. But for now, Burrow comfortably QB2 on my list. We'll talk about QB3 here in just one second. But let's go ahead and get to the charting project here real quick. Of this game, I charted distance out of the pocket, third and fourth down passes, and under pressure for both quarterbacks in this game. And the biggest standout was Tua's deep passing. I tweeted about it on Saturday night. He went four for five with 202 passing yards and two touchdowns. The fifth one, the incompletion, was a drop to Jerry Judy right in the bread basket. So technically, just for the drop, he would have had five for five with 251 yards and three touchdowns, passing the ball 20 yards and beyond. On. Joe Burrow's first drive, that's all he did. He was aces in that regard, but he finished the night three for five with 88 yards and one touchdown going down the field. Tua did not have any throws outside the pocket except for one. He was 0 for 1, a little short shot to the left. And I did remove batted passes and throwaways from the quarterback's lines here, so keep in mind with that. Joe Burrow outside the pocket, he was five for six with 39 yards throwing from outside the pocket. But it was the third down and pressure throws that belonged to the Alabama quarterback. Tua was 8 for 11 on third down with 129 yards. And he had a touchdown and converted all eight of those completions into first down. So no throw short of the sticks. And one of those plays, he was under pressure and he hooked it up. A completion for 46 yards and a big play in the game. So he was totally aces. As for Joe Burrow, a lot of his third down conversions were running plays, which you can't take that away from him, but he also took plenty of sacks on third down and threw it short of the sticks on third down, and then Clyde's uh, Edwards-Hilaire made big plays for him after that, but his numbers on third down, he was... Four for five with 39 yards, and he was two for three with 30 yards under pressure. A couple of those were blitzes right in his face where he knew where the hot was and got it out quickly and made a play that way. So that was impressive. As for the pure pressure numbers, I probably evaluate this different than most. I think if the quarterback's not severely hampered by the pressure in his face, I'm not going to call it a throw against pressure. So for that regard, Tua was four for six with 67 yards on the day. But he also had three instances where he threw the football away and he took one sack. Joe Burrow took four sacks, four compared to the one. A big difference in this game, but his passing on pressure situations... 
was 8 for 11 with 81 yards. So really both quarterbacks in that regard were impressive. But again, the sacks, that was the biggest difference and why I gave the nod to Tua against pressure. All things told, both these guys were very, very, very good in this game. They've both been very, very, very good this season and they're going to be the first quarterbacks off the board. Will it be Miami? I still believe that Tua Tungavailoa is the best fit for the Dolphins. I think Joe Burrow could be molded into a scheme that Chad O'Shea creates for him. But I also still believe that Jake Fromm has franchise quarterback aspirations within this offense because of his mental aptitude getting into the right play he can throw those back shoulders that he loves so much to Lawrence Cager to Preston Williams and Devontae Parker I think this guy has franchise quarterback written all over him in this class as well just as Tua and Burrow do although there's a big gap between those two guys and Jake Fromm at this point Jordan Love had his best game of the season in 2019 on Saturday against Fresno State. There's a play in this game, and go check out the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com, the Week 11 college quarterback scouting pre or uh, recap, I should say, where Jordan Love moves to his right and displaces the defense who has to account for the run, and then he throws a football across his body that humans should not be able to do. That's where the big challenge comes in with Jordan Love. How do you get him doing that stuff consistently? It reminds me in that way, and I'm not going to put him in the class, but it reminds me of Patrick Mahomes because of the rare, rare dual threat ability and the arm that can do things that really nobody else on the planet can do. So those guys all still in play. There are plenty of veteran options out there. Will the Falcons move Matt Ryan? Is Cam Newton going to be available? What about Tom Brady, Phil Rivers? So many different options out there. So many things we're going to have to hash out over the coming weeks. Weeks, but even still, there's a ton of football left to be played. Hell, the 1-7 Falcons beat the 7-1 Saints today, so why don't we just all let it play out and relax, yeah? And while you do that, go check out the article on LockedOnDolphins.com. I put it up on my timeline. It's the face of the franchise series from over the summer. I put tons of videos in there of Jake Fromm showing you why he's a good fit in this system, which is the most important thing. And while you have some time to read at work on Monday or Tuesday, since happy Veterans Day for the day off there as well, check out LockedOnDolphins.com for the Jake Fromm piece, the college quarterback recap, the recap article from Dolphins over Colts, and we'll have the aftermath piece for you guys up on Tuesday as well. But as for now, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your Victory Monday. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.